Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And today we're discussing a beautiful topic, sin. I know I'm <laughs> excited, super excited about that. <laughs> Actually, though, we're not talking about sin, not the way that you immediately thought of it in your head as like lying or, you know, stealing or doing something bad. We're not talking about it like that. We're really talking about it in the context of who we are as a ministry. Um, at Dauntless Grace, we really, you know, our tagline is connecting women to a meaningful story. And we really believe that that's possible um, to have meaning in the context of more wholeness and integration in our lives. So I know you had um, an event this last weekend where you, you heard someone describe sin in a certain way. So I'm going to let you go on your little soapbox on that for a minute. I have a whole soapbox about this. Yeah. I, I was listening to someone and, and the main message was stay out of sin. Like, Hey, Christians stay out of sin. And I was like, what, what, what does, does that, that mean? even mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's like, like first let's define sin. So I, heard this whole message of stay out of sin like sin is all the behaviors you do that harm other people and maybe harm yourself okay that's a very shallow definition of sin i'm not saying it's a wrong definition of sin but if all we're doing is avoiding doing something bad i think we're missing what sin actually means when it's used in the bible and also we're assuming that we have made conscious choices to do or not do these things. And therefore, right. if you just make a conscious decision today while you're at church that you will avoid those for the rest of your life, then you will no longer do them. And we know that we are so much more complicated that um, our soul, our bodies, they're all involved in this decision-making process. And there's things that we do subconsciously all the time that will defeat our statement of not doing these things, right? Like we've, we've been talking about it through all the IFS work lately. Like we want to do what we don't do and we don't do what we want to do. This is the Apostle Paul. I brought this to, did I, did I repeat that wrongly? I think you repeated it. Just, I think as a double it. negative, it's like a double negative. It's fine. I just think you said the same thing twice, but that's okay. okay. We understood. Well, so the Apostle Paul would say, I don't do what I want to do. And I want to do what I don't do. <laughs> no. Am I still saying it wrong? You're just saying the same thing twice, both times. I think what you want to say, I don't, I do what I don't want to do. And I don't do what I want to do. That's what I want to say. <laughs> You know what? My texting has been off lately. So contractions have been weird. Maybe I've just got them all mixed up in my head. I can't contract yeah. anymore. I've lost you the need, to contract. You need like an autocorrect on your like microphone when you're recording <laughs> to just autocorrect what you're trying to say. Well, if it's anything like the autocorrect on my phone right now, it wouldn't work anyway. So That's true. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Yeah, so of course, every Christian's like, I don't want to do this behavior anymore. And then yet we still do. Well, if the apostle Paul had problems with that, why do we think one sermon that has a slide up that says, stay away from sin is going to solve this problem? It's so much more complicated. And this is why we have to do the work in our soul to allow the Holy spirit to come work on the it, it, subconsciously, those places that we don't even know are working against what we really want to do. It's like that skit that your brother showed us not too long ago of the old like Bob Newhart therapy yes. where the lady's like, I just, I just get so scared. And he's like, well, just stop it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's your therapy. Just don't, just don't sit, just stop it. Just stop it. And we know that that's not how we work as people. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. 
Yeah. So if, I've actually been trying to dive into like, what, what did sin mean when they used it in the Bible? What did it mean in Hebrew or Greek? Um, and, you know, sin isn't ever defined as a behavior. It's defined as missing the mark or the definition I really liked was the failure to fulfill one's purpose. Oh. So it's like, if our purpose is to be these whole integrated beings to fulfill this calling on the earth that God's put into us, then if we're failing to be that whole integrated person, then we're in sin because it's disintegrated. Yeah. It's not one behavior or action. It's a state. Yeah. We are in a state of disintegration, which is the sin nature at work in us. And so to reverse the effects of sin is to begin to live in more wholeness and reintegrate the parts that are disintegrated. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about this just in in your story a lot, and you wrote about this in in our book, but, and I always throw you under the bus here, but you sinned a lot in your disintegration, but with behaviors that were really good. You, mm-hmm. you served in the church and you mentored people and you kept really busy and you raised your kids and you did all the things. And it looked like you were this full productive woman living her life for God, but you knew that you were living in a state of disintegration because you were keeping God from those tender places to bring a wholeness to you. And even in that I hurt myself and others. Yeah. So in some ways, fine, we'll go with the definition of the generic, like it did hurt myself and others, but it didn't look on the surface like that's what was happening. Right. Right. Um, So we can't just do these by behaviors. It's just, it's just not enough. Now, is it a sin to lie or steal? Yes, of course. But we're not going to stop doing that by dealing with the output or the product of the belief system that we're carrying. We may hold something at bay for a while, but until we really believe differently, we're going to struggle with that forever. I also think that we've mislabeled some actions and behaviors as sin when they're actually the output of a full, whole integrated life where God is calling us. And I think we have to be really careful that if we're only focusing on the output that we might be mislabeling things like the Pharisees did it. They said, oh, it's a sin to heal on the Sabbath because they had decided that that commandment was was more important than the loving other people, right. And bringing someone else into wholeness. And Jesus came in and was sinning in their eyes. Yeah. But not, not in the way that then he clarified that the greatest commandment then is to love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. So we have to be careful that if we're only focusing on the behaviors and the output, we might be mislabeling things too. For sure. And it just, it's not helpful. It's just not helpful. Yeah. We see time and time again, where he comes against them for cleaning the outside of the cup instead of dealing with the maggoty inside. That's like death inside. Right. And I think we do that a lot in the church and we preach a lot of sermons to that end too, like clean up the outside to be a good Christian and look like a good Christian and be the light and salt in the earth. And, and we do want to be light and salt, but I don't think that something shiny necessarily draws people to them as it is when his light is translucently coming out of us, that's a lot different than polishing up the outside. Uh, When he inhabits our praise, when he dwells within us because we are his living temple, that's where transformational um, cultural change comes because we are inhabiting it and living it out and fleshing it out. But just to do the acts on the outside, it's just not enough. We eventually disintegrate either within or in our actions or our relationships. 
So, so we have been talking a little bit about when we first started Dauntless Grace, we didn't have the Enneagram as a tool. And we would say that we were connecting women to a meaningful story. But now we've really been able to drill down a little bit on like for each of the types, what is a major pain point? And -hmm. I just want to put this out there. We're about to do a quick list here of Enneagram one through nine, but any type can feel all of these things. Yeah. So this is not like, well, if you're an Enneagram one, you can only feel this emotion that we're about to uh, describe. We all can feel all the things. Emotions are generic in that way, but there's some that are more, you know, Constant. Constant. And it's that, that cyclical thing. Like when you, we all might feel all of these emotions at some point, but there's something that just keeps happening in my life where I keep hitting up against the same cycle. Right. And it's going to be a common theme for a lot of Enneagram fours, just like for you. And so this is where I'd say, if we're living in a state of disintegration, that we're going to be just hitting up against the cycle of that emotion more and more and more and not know then how do we reintegrate this and be a whole person? Yeah takes a lot of work, but what do you want to do? You want to read through these? Kind of. Yeah. So one through nine, like we connect women who are tired of feeling stressed, unappreciated, unworthy, misunderstood, depleted, anxious, restless, angry, and insignificant to a meaningful story. Do we want to talk about those a little bit one by one? Well, I, let's start with nine because we never do. Okay. But yeah, that insignificant uh, component, you know, when you, it keeps you from doing the things that you want to do sometimes, um, whether that's fear or just um, the rejection that comes if you do step out and it was seen as insignificant. And so I think we can see a cycle with Enneagram nines where um, the activity and the withdrawing cycle, kind of engaging and withdrawing, engaging, withdrawing, always uh, happens because of that feeling of insignificance. And when they can feel the significance of, the, it, I'm sorry, the significance of their identity as sons and daughters of Christ, like that makes such a difference in how they can step into the world around them and into relationships. Yeah. Um, because it takes a lot of energy to, to make an impact. And so nines who are very careful to preserve their energy because they want to keep the peace and the harmony within and externally all the time, then they're afraid of that because either it's going to deplete them to step out and be rejected and feel insignificant, or it's going to make waves in a place. Their impact could cause conflict. And so it's just easier to stay back, but then it's constantly hitting up against that feeling that their presence doesn't matter. Yeah, but it does. Come on, nine, show up in your own story, step into your story. We love it when you do. Do we want, well, I was going to say, while we're talking about nines feeling insignificant, you know, we have, we've kind of tied all of these words to some stories that Jesus, you know, lived out in the gospel. So I don't know if we want to talk about those while we're saying through these words. Yeah, let's do that. Cause it makes more okay. sense at the same time. Um, we have we've been telling listeners we've been reading through the gospels like in a synoptic way we're kind of reading the same story if it's told in three or four of the gospels you read them all at the same time and so just rereading some things with new eyes and seeing these miracles i was thinking as we were talking to someone recently like these miracles are not just about well, the feeding of the 5000 right but if you could connect what Jesus was doing to a core longing of ours that he was ministering to. Basically he's saying, I am never not everything. 
that you need. It's another right. double negative. You're welcome. Where's that one made my, sense? Where's my auto correct? <laughs> um, but it's not just hey, I will provide food, but hey, for you who are are worried that you won't have enough, I'm I'm always the provision. I'm always enough. I multiply, you know, just for everything from a healing to a supernatural miracle. So it was really cool as we started looking at these, you did a great job, like, like connecting them to a a pain point. And again, Jesus miracles apply to all of us. So we're not trying to reduce these to only apply to one person, but it makes a lot of sense. So I love what you did with nine. So for nines, I really, the story that we, um, where Jesus heals the leper uh, specific. I mean, he does that a lot. I'm sure there were multiple lepers that he healed, but there's one in particular where um, the man reaches out his hand and says, if you are willing, if you are willing, will you heal me? And Jesus replies, I am willing be clean. And so to me, it just, that was a, that felt like a nine who stepped out and decided I'm significant enough to ask for this. And Jesus met him there and said, of course, you're significant enough to ask for this. And I will heal you in that place. I love so, that so much. It takes some courage, but man, look what happens when you make yourself seen. Yeah. I love that one. So going backwards then. So eight, um, you know, women who are tired of feeling angry, just coming up against that cycle of anger and Eights can access anger really easily. We've talked about this before, um, but I think for eights, anger masks a, a fear they don't necessarily want to identify because it maybe doesn't make them feel afraid. It probably makes them feel angry, but it's that who who can I trust? Can I trust myself? Can I trust the people around me? Who Who's worthy of me pushing against them and that they're going to stay here and stay standing and stay by my side and they won't betray me? And so I think that anger comes out a lot because of that fear. So the story I connected for them was actually, well, I had to pull Peter in because I feel like Peter had anger issues in general uh, Mm -hmm. through a lot of the gospels. Um, But it's the story of Peter walking on the water towards Jesus. I love that. And we don't necessarily see anger present at this moment, but he trusted Jesus enough to follow his words and step out with him into a place that looked really like an insecure uh, space. It wasn't safe to step onto that water. Well, but when he tried to step in his own strength and not rely on anybody else, he immediately started sinking. So he had to decide that Jesus was trustworthy. He had to decide that that was enough to put his weight on Mm -hmm. so that the water would hold him up. I know. I love that. Yeah. So good. Anger just I, uh, for them, I think, is that more easily accessible for the more tender feeling of insecurity, right? Mm-hmm. I won't express insecurity, but that anger is basically like, I feel that way. And it's, and it's so it's a really cool um, parallel. Okay, so for the seven, your, your word here is restless. For w- those women who are feeling restless, you can be connected to a meaningful story and that parable that you chose for this one. Okay. So the sevens, I, I, I'm sorry, this is going to sound a little bit like a cliche. And I actually <laughs> went back and forth between a couple um, and it really came down to which graphic I could find for uh, the series I was doing on it. But, um, you know, the restless implies like not feeling satisfied, right? Like there's like, they're yeah. never going to find enough to really fill them. Um, and so I ended up with the water to wine miracle because I think in that one, like the wine has run out 
And when Jesus turns the water into wine at the wedding feast, he actually, they say, oh, you made the good stuff last. Like you, you saved the good stuff for last. And I think it's just a way to tell sevens, like it's not going to run out because there's the better stuff is what Jesus has for you. You know, the best stuff comes later. It's not, it's not like you're just going to run through all the good stuff and then you're, you're, then you're done. Yeah. Because it's not that they're um, like that they're afraid is that satiation that they need you know it's not like they just are an endless well everyone is everyone's endless right but it's that they're afraid of running out in a different way than maybe some of the other types because then they'll be left empty they'll be left trapped almost where that restless mm-hmm. feeling comes I can't be left trapped here I need to have enough to you know uh, keep filling myself and Jesus just so beautifully promises that he never runs dry he never, his, his, well, well, he even said it to the Samaritan woman too, right? Like if you take a drink of the living water, I offer, it'll never, that, that was almost the one that I used for them because of the living water thing. But I also just kind of liked the, um, you know, sevens are the, the fun ones and the, and the, they're up for a party. So yeah. I kind of liked, I like the wedding feast thing, I even if it feels cliche. I think it's perfect. I laughed when I saw that. <laughs> I hope the sevens laugh. <laughs> All right. Well, for sixes, we say they are, uh, we're connecting women who are anxious to a meaningful story. And I think this, everyone would kind of agree that this is the perfect uh, story of Jesus and his disciples here in the miracle he worked. Oh yeah. The calming of the storm, right? I mean, were the, were the disciples ever more anxiety ridden than sitting on that boat and thinking, oh, we're going to die. And Jesus is asleep. He doesn't care at all that we feel this way. Yeah, Yeah. And he immediately, he just, he's like, Hey, I got this. And just the wind and the waves obeyed him and, and stopped. And there, there was no fear. He was like, I can, you can take a nap. You can rest. I've got this. I think that story, there's a song. I want to say that it's Bethel music about uh, calming the storm, like within us, that he speaks to the winds and the waves and they obey, but it, it uh, connects. I'm going to find that song and we'll share it in our show notes, but it's really beautiful. If you're an Enneagram six who struggles with the way that your mind tells you all the worst case scenarios and that you may be alone to deal with it. I really believe that there's an invitation there for you to know that the savior is near you and he hears you even when you feel like he can't. And it just takes one word for him to, to calm the storm. And there's so much rest to be found in that. Yeah. He wasn't sleeping on the job. He was inviting them into a posture of rest. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, for the Enneagram fives, we believe that we are connecting women who are depleted to a meaningful story. Well, you already uncovered this one, but this one is the feeding of the 5,000 because it seemed like there just, there just wasn't enough to go around. There, what, there wasn't enough food. There wasn't enough resources for the crowd that was there. And so the one kid who had the food could have said like, no, this is barely enough for me. And instead he handed it trusting that whatever he gave out that left him empty, there would still be enough to fill not only him, but all the people around him. And so those two fish and five loaves, is that right? Ended up feeding 5,000, which we know was probably more like 15,000 because they didn't count women and children back then. And we won't get on that rant, but, um, but that with, you know, 12 baskets of leftover, it just, not just more than enough, but endless. Yeah. You don't, there's no way to scientifically multiply that amount of food to feed that many people in any way that makes sense. There was an eternal reality that was manifested there. And so for fives whose, um, their vice is avarice, which is, it's kind of like hoarding and not that they always hoard food or things. Sometimes it's energy, energy. Yeah. Sometimes it's, um, knowledge, whatever it is that they feel they need to not be depleted, but 
while there are laws in our natural universe <laughs> that we follow, Jesus has access and therefore so do we in him to the supernatural, you know, abundance. So just like we said with the sevens, like his, his water satisfies always. It doesn't run dry. It's the same for us. You fives, you got to know, like he has an endless source of whatever it is that you need, not just food, but all of the things. And it's, it came from that trusting willingness of a child. Like it, it takes that childlike faith to believe that that could be multiplied and be enough. I think that's so cool. I don't think I've ever thought before about the the 12 baskets being left over as something. I'm sure there's probably significance with the 12 and the disciples and the tribes and all that. And I don't, I'm not going into that, but the fact that it could have been like, Hey, look at this. We had enough to feed everyone. Everyone got their fill. And then there was none left over to show that he was a God of provision. But instead there were, there was so much left over that he was, he was like, I might, I'm not just the provider. I'm the God of abundance. Abundance. Yeah. That's so good. Um, all right. Enneagram fours. I'm a four. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk to us all right now, but you know, whoever's listening, I actually didn't pick a miracle for this one, partly because I wanted us to be unique. It felt fitting that we would have the one non-miracle New Testament story. Um, But I picked the parable about the lost sheep. First of all, because we're all singing about it all the time with the reckless love song, right? (laughs) But also because it's kind of a miracle that in the parable, the shepherd went out to find that one lost sheep when he had a hundred and he still chose to go find the one and everyone thinks, Oh, that's such a beautiful and tender and loving story. And I was actually reading that what a week ago. And I was like, that parable makes me so mad (laughs) because what about those 99 who were like, Hey, you just left us. Yeah. You just left us. And so I realized that in my life, I'm afraid that he's just going to wander away to go find the one. So I have to make sure I'm that one. And maybe that's a four thing to be like, I'm going to be the one that wanders. I'm going to be the unique one that he needs to come fix and come after because I don't want to be left behind here with the people who don't know what they're doing. I need someone who knows how to fix me. And so I'm going to be the one that he has to chase after. So that is the parable I chose. But the beauty of it is that he not only goes and finds that one every time, right? No matter how many times I decided I should wander, but he comes back. He brings it back. He doesn't leave the 99. Not really. He comes back. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. I have no more <laughs> words to add to that. <laughs> Sorry, I just, it's not a miracle, but it kind of is, but I don't know. It just felt really four-ish to me. Well, I also think that where a four feels misunderstood, which is, you know, that word that we put there for four, oh, yeah. um, you could think, you know, that, that can be like the thing that actually draws him to you because it's the thing that kind of pulls you away from the herd in a sense. Like if I'm misunderstood, I must be different than everyone. Oh, that's so good. But he, he's such a good shepherd. He doesn't get frustrated by that. And he does understand. And he knows exactly where you go every time, you know, it's not like he has to find you. He knows where you are and he sees you and you're not a mystery to him. And so I think that's really a beautiful, that push and pull thing that you can do with people. Uh, Jesus just doesn't do it. He just keeps coming and keeps bringing you back, keeps coming, keeps bringing you back. It's so true. There's, you know, I probably did it more when I was younger, but I thought if I pull away, they'll have to come get me. Mm-hmm. And that's what that sheep is doing. He, he's yeah. Mm, that's so good. What a four thing. I love it. <laughs> All right. Our Enneagram right. Threes. We are connecting women who are unworthy 
or feeling unworthy to a meaningful story. And so um, I know our threes have a lot of value and worth issues, you know, feeling that, that they are enough just in who they are and not in what they do. And I love this parable that you picked or the miracle. You're gonna make me talk about this one. Okay. Um, I, for the threes, I wanted to choose the one that was about hauling and fish because all of their worth was tied up in being fishermen, right? Yeah. The disciples, and they couldn't bring any fish in. And yeah. so they were feeling really unworthy because they weren't bringing anything in. So the miracle isn't that Jesus hauled in fish to show them that they could have more worth if they worked better or if they, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't yeah. like here produce more. And that's the, the beauty. What he did was he brought all the fish in and then said, and now you're actually not going to do this anymore. You're going to go be fishers of men. Yeah. And so he was like, your worth isn't that you just brought in all these fish that I miraculously provided for you anyway. You didn't even yeah. do it at that point. Yeah. It but, wasn't strength. Yeah. But taking you out of what you think is your identity and making it even better and bigger. I love it so much. And they get into this relationship with Jesus where he retrains their mind to not be fishers of fish, but fishers of men. And it's a process and it takes a while, but it takes relationships. It takes that constant day in and day out communion with him to change that mindset. So it wasn't even like, here, take my three-step easy course and I will make you, even you, a fisher of men. You know, like they had to just follow him blindly and trust that the relationship would be enough to prepare them. And it had nothing to do with how they were qualified. So it's such a great worth statement to a person. Yeah. Um, For twos, we are connecting women who are tired of feeling unappreciated to a meaningful story. And um, yeah, I can't wait for people to see your graphic for this one because it's such a sweet graphic. Brought tears to my eyes, like just feeling left behind by people who you pour into, people you love, people you serve, and just feeling like they've forgotten you. They they don't see you. They don't see what you've done for them. Maybe they're not put, pouring back identity into you. Yeah, I picked the parable of healing the paralytic that the the men like actually tear the roof open of the house where Jesus is, is serving and ministering and they tear the roof open and lower their friend down. And I picked that one because it's a group effort and twos to have that, you know, group kind of mentality. They want to keep people connected, but I want the twos to hear themselves in the story as the man on the mat. They're the paralytic. Yes. So they might be used to being the one that's tearing the roof open for people. But I think in this story, Jesus is going, Hey, you are going to be surrounded by people who are, if you can trust, if you are can trust and rest there because the man couldn't get up, he had to rely on the people around him at that point. And that's hard for a two to rely on others, but they were the ones that were able to open the roof and lower them down for the miracle. And I will say on the other side too, even when you are helping people, if your help is for them to turn around and appreciate you, you're going to Mm. keep being left unappreciated. But if your help is to get them to Jesus, that's where their transformation will come. And you don't have to worry then about what happens next. You know, you just have to lower them to him and he does the work. And it's a lot less exhausting on your end when you just put that back, that burden back on Jesus. So both ways, no matter how both you ways. yourself, it's about Jesus and about the posture of rest of letting him do the work or the miracle or the help. And you're just getting closer to him. You just have to keep getting closer to Jesus. That's so good. Like, Yeah. Either way you, either, whatever part you're playing in that story. I'm so glad we're talking these through before I actually write about them. This is so good. 
Also, I think you said that was a parable, but that one was an actual story. It was a miracle that happened. Yeah. Oh, sorry. They all were the miracles except for the four one was the parable. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been, been, I've been my using, autocorrect didn't speak for me. Well, I think I've been using it fairly interchangeably too, but you guys, you, you know the word. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, but you do. You do. <laughs> all right. So for Enneagram ones, we are, we want to connect women who are tired of just feeling stressed to a meaningful story. And I know that we can all be like every single one of us is going to say, oh, we're stressed, we're stressed. But as an Enneagram one, why does that word hit you in such a pain point way? And, and then you can talk about the miracle we connected to it. Um, different ways. I would say similar to like how we're talking about a five being depleted. It feels like if I have to do all of the things to hide the parts of me I don't want seen, then there's, I get to a point where there's a limit of how much time and energy and money I can invest in doing it, all these things to keep this ruse going, you know, I just feel like everything's pouring out of you to do what needs to be done. Yeah. So like, sometimes I'll use the word like spinning all the plates and then I start hearing, hearing them drop. Or, you know, if, if I really want to get personal, it's about keeping up we talked a little bit about this on our IFS recap episode, keeping up the um, little tent sheet, you know, so that you couldn't see behind it to see the parts of me that were the ugly unseen parts. I didn't want the world to see. Um, But the truth is I can, I can do all of that, but my resource is so limited that it just feels like I'm pouring out and pouring out. And every day is just another to-do list and another busy schedule and another thing. And there's not enough disconnected from the people and relationships then, right? It does keep me disconnected and it keeps me disconnected from my body, which then I feel a lot, since I am a body centric person, I feel a lot of stress in my own, you know, energy, my own body, like muscles and pain and headaches and all of that, because I don't have those internal resources to do the thing I'm trying to do, which is ultimately look beyond reproach, look perfect, look, be everything to everyone so that they don't really look at me. That's stupid and exhausting. So the miracle that I found, and maybe I was swayed a little bit because this has been such a personal story for you, but um, the Jesus curing the issue of blood, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, which, I mean, there was, it was like basically her inner, literally her inner resources flowing out of her and it kept her distanced from people and it kept her at arm's length from everyone that she could have a relationship with because it was just pouring out of her and she was then unclean and that's our ultimate, she couldn't hide it. Yeah. That's our ultimate fear is to be unclean. That's what we really believe about ourselves. But Jesus drew near or allowed her to draw near in spite of her uncleanness. It's such a beautiful story. You know, I will cry if I talk anymore about that because I, I wasn't. Was Do you have any more words to talk about that? No, it's so good. Yeah, I don't know that I would apply stress to her, but I'm sure there were many stressors just because of her isolation and her lack of money and resources to attend to it, the, the issue anymore. Um, so I'm sure that stress was certainly a part of her life, probably in a different way than I would describe it in my daily life. But the isolation, when you feel unclean, it takes a lot of work to keep producing and hiding. Yeah. So good. So just to kind of tie back to the whole sin thing that we started with, I would say we, we have talked a hundred thousand times on this podcast that emotions are neutral. They are neither 
like bad or good. We cannot assign morality to emotions. So we're not saying that if you wake up and you feel angry or you feel misunderstood or you feel unappreciated that you're sinning. Like we're not saying that at all, right? Emotions are indicators. We're saying that if you keep hitting against that same cycle, then there's a chance that there's still part of you that's living disintegrated from the wholeness that Jesus has for you. But there is testimony after testimony in the Bible and just in the lives of you know, all the people we talk to, where Jesus can come in and heal that disintegrated part, reintegrate it into the new wholeness. So I'm going to compare myself with an Enneagram seven with the the stories we just told where they're feeling restless and they might choose to go out and party and drink too much and do these things that look like what we would call sinful behavior. I, as an Enneagram one, who's feeling stressed because my exposure of my dirtiness or my uncleanness is about to be exposed, right? I may do things to make myself look good and they don't look sinful, but they are both being motivated from a place of disintegration. And both of us are trying to alleviate our symptoms or our feelings, our emotional distress because of this disintegration, instead of pressing in to the wholeness Jesus has to offer and the miraculous provision that he has for that reintegration of those parts of us that have been splintered off. And I think that that's really where the sin can be identified, but not in like a, okay, now you do your penance for that more in like a stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. But when I recognize that it's not condemnation, it's like, oh, so the answer is to touch the hem of his garment. Oh, the answer is to fill the water buckets with water and watch him turn it into wine. So the answer is to bring him what I have and watch him multiply it. So it's always about coming back to him. It's so Um, if we want to equate sin with the disintegration, then let's equate repentance with the turning back, the turning back, not away from our behavior, but turning back to him because he's the source of provision and reintegration and wholeness. And really that's what we do with all of our IFS work too, right? We're not casting out the parts of ourselves that feel sinful and disintegrated. We're reassigning them. We're letting them repent by turning away from the the job they thought they had to do and assigning them a new job to be reintegrated. Yeah. It's such good work. This is so beautiful. I love it. Okay. Well, here's our word for you today. Stop sinning. (laughs) Just stay out of it. (laughs) But as Jesus would say though, go and sin no more, go find your wholeness. There you go. Because you've met him, you've tasted him, you've received from him, you've touched him. Know that as you walk forward, you can walk forward in wholeness. And anytime that you come up against that lack or needing that miracle, that he's the place to return to. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We are on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries. Our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace, and you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team DGM. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.